joined together grows into a holy Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Leslie, for reading that for us this morning. This morning we do. We start a new three-week kind of mini-series we're calling Life Together. Life Together. The title is taken from Diedrich Bonhoeffer's classic Exploration of Christian Community. The title, as we hear, Life Together, is going to really spark for us questions like, who are we? What are we as a church? What does it look like to live in Christian community? Life together. And, and here in, our, in this local expression, Bethany Church, here in Canby. I can't think of a better Sunday to start our new series, uh, Life Together, on than last Sunday, Baptism Sunday. Wasn't that a great morning? It was absolutely. What a great morning. And it just spoke of the nature of the body and all of us together. And the community of saints, those who've trusted Jesus Christ, as Brian and Adrian shared their testimony and were baptized. If you missed it, we had a wonderful, God-honoring, Christ-exalting baptism service where these two men expressed their faith in Christ publicly in this community. Life together. That's what we're about. They acknowledge they're part of something bigger than just themselves. They're part of something bigger. What you saw last Sunday was countercultural. Countercultural. And the church is to be that countercultural community together. A counter kingdom in the life we live together. You know, we live in a day and age. You know this. I don't have to tell you, but I'm going to because it fits with what we're talking about today. We live in an age when loneliness, isolation, depression, it is on the rise in our culture, and particularly. In our youth, never has a generation, us and those coming behind us, never has a generation had more access and means to instant communication, online communities, friends. We have open, direct access to everyone in the world with a touch of a finger. My dad was in Ireland last week, and it's just, you touch, and he's in Ireland, halfway around the world, you touch the phone, you can see each other's face now. We have all kinds of technology and yet we're living more and more of life alone, not together. Study after study shows that uh, unprecedented, epidemic even, levels of loneliness, isolation, alienation, and depression are hitting our culture and real people. And in the church, we're not immune, are we? We have fallen prey to this sense of connectivity that's been lost. We feel it. The loss of togetherness, we have to push back against it. So that's what this three-week series is. Real life together. Relationships. And they're, they're critical for us as humans made in God's image. He's a God of eternal community. Have we, ta- have we thought about that? We've talked about that before. In the Trinity, we have a God who's one but three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. He has lived himself in eternal community forever. Is any wonder that we, you and I, need community? We're made in his image. 
That's how he was made. That's how he is. That's how he made us. We need each other. Add to that the increasing cultural stigmatization of Christianity, the stigma that's being attached more and more to following Christ and maybe what some call our retrograde back backwards uh, views on gender, sexuality, family, marriage. And we have a mission in the midst of that to hold on to the faith, to pass on the faith, to reach the lost for Jesus. And we need each other more now than ever. I believe that. And I believe that's going to only increase. We need each other and this life together. If we're going to weather some of those even cultural storms, gathering storms, and keep the gospel so we can get the gospel out. We need this life together. So God's building here at Bethany Church a, a community. You might use the word culture. He's building that here. And yet, I know, even in my own heart, there's a temptation as Christians to take for granted our life together. Especially if you grew up in the church. Just what you did. You went to church, you went to Sunday school, you just did it, you went, it's kind of you go on a Sunday, you do your thing, you're back, you're in, you're out. That temptation to take it for granted, it's there, and it's always been a temptation. In Hebrews, he said, don't forsake the gathering of the saints. Diedrich Bonhoeffer's day in his book, he said this, it's not simply to be taken for granted that the Christian has the privilege of living among other Christians. Don't take it for granted, he says. So written by a man who was in jail for his faith, he lost it. Jesus Christ lived in the midst of his enemies, he went on. At the end of all of his disciples deserted him at the end of his life. On the cross, he was utterly alone, surrounded by evildoers and mockers. For this cause, he had come to bring peace to the enemies of God. So the Christian, too, belongs, not in the seclusion of a cloistered life, but in the thick of foes, even. There is his commission, his work. What's he saying? Community is a privilege. It should never be assumed that you'll have it tomorrow or the next day. Jesus Christ is bringing peace between relationships as he is the peacemaker. And we too then are to live amongst other people with the gospel of peace here in our community and outside the world as well. So Bonhoeffer saying, may we never minimize the importance of community or small community as our temptation can be sometimes to aloofness, to isolate. And sin makes us do that. So over these three weeks... We're going to look at three passages from the book of Ephesians. Last week, we started in chapter 2. Do you remember? We talked about spiritual death to life in the first half of chapter 2 of Ephesians. And it was a picture, baptism was on that Sunday as well, of spiritual death to life. We talked about the fact that we are alienated from God, the first half of that chapter. But we're saved by God. Do you remember it? From God. For God was the first half of that chapter. So this Sunday we're going to look at the second ha half of chapter 2 to remember four truths, four truths now about who we are as the church to help us appreciate the gift that we have of life together. So if you've got your outline, your Bible, open, smartphone, tablet, book, however you have it, to look at our first truth about who we are. It's this. You and I, we were once a people who were far off, far off. Our passage today is going to speak in this kind of language. Far off and near. 
And Paul wants us to remember. He says it twice there in the beginning of the passage, didn't he? Remember this. Remember who you were before coming to Christ. This idea of being far off. You might use the word alienation. That is the problem of humanity. Alienation is the problem of humanity. Alienation from God, as we're separated from him, which was what the first half of chapter 2 was about, and alienation from other people, which is what the second half of chapter 2 in verses 11 through 22 is about. Alienation, it's the problem of humanity. We're born, yes, into a family, but isolated from God and just live in a family for any given amount of time. How easy is it to alienate? We know. The relationships break down. It's hard. It's work. It takes a lot of work. Alienation is a big problem. Verses 11 and 12 and 13, Paul gives us a description. It's a description of the pagan at that time, Jew and Gentile. Jews were God's people. Anyone who was a Gentile were the far-off ones, the ones who were far off, the ones who were outside of God's chosen people, the Jewish people. But this is us today is too. In our pre-Christian, if you haven't come to Christ, or have our pre-Christian days. This is us too, this far-off people that Paul wants us to remember. Take a look at this slide. It lays out for us kind of the idea of being Gentile really is us too. And Paul describes this, these, this people group with these terms you see on the left here. They are the uncircumcised. It's always fun to talk about circumcision in church, isn't it? We're just going to put it out there today. We're talking about circumcision a little bit. Uh, they were the uncircumcised, the pagan Gentile. And the circumcised was just a way to s- speak of the Jews, God's chosen people. Circumcision was that outward sign, the, the, the branding, you might say, of membership in the covenant people of God, that you were, you were, you were cut out literally from a people set apart for God. That's why God gave it. It was that symbol. But as Jeremiah said, even in Old Testament times, circumcision of the heart is what's really important. You see that on the right side. It's what we need, that, that we're cut apart, that we're set apart, that our heart is set apart for God. So far from God was the, uh, the next. Far from God uh, says separated from Christ, not trusting Christ us too before we come to him. The Gentiles, he says, they were alienated from Israel's, the next one. They were alienated from the commonwealth. We were outside. We are outside the people, the family of God before coming to Christ. Strangers to the covenants, the next one. Unaware, just unaware of all God's promises, all his blessings, the storehouse we talked about last week that he's going to open up on us forever the storehouse of blessings he has for his people. We're unaware before we come to know who this God is and what his covenant and his promises are. We don't know the truth. We don't know it. And then without God, it's no hope, the passage says, without God. It's a striking description of who we were, who we are apart from Christ. It is. It's striking. It's not life together in community. That's physical and spiritual alienation. That's what he's describing. 
And he's saying, remember, that was you. And he thinks it's so important. He says it twice. Remember, remember, appreciate where we are now. That's why he says, remember it. Our second truth is this. He wants us to remember it so we can see we've been brought near. You were far off. We've been brought near in Jesus by his blood and peace. Last week was such a picture of that. That those who have come to our church body have trusted Christ. It's coming from a place of far away into a community and taking away that alienation. Coming to God. Point two is this. He really wants us to see where we are now. Where you've come from and where you are. Look at the change in language from verses 11 to 12. You were far off. You were lost. You were without hope. You were separated. You were alienated. You were strangers. But then look at verse 13. It's the bottom one there. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There's a parallel there between those verses in chapter 2, 4, and 5, and 13. We're supposed to see, but God, you were spiritually dead, but God, you were far off, but now in Christ Jesus, you've been brought near. Now remember, he says, remember, you were brought near, this nearness, this, this idea of incarnation, body to body, closeness, far off, now near. This is the language of God's people. Far off, but now we're near, we're close. Nearness. It's what the incarnation actually is all about. Think about that for a minute. The incarnation was Jesus taking on a body. He came near to us, didn't he? He didn't have to, but he chose to come near to us by taking on a body so we could be brought near. That's the gospel. Near to God, but also near to each other, too. But it's not all humanity. All humanity has not been just brought near because Jesus came to earth. It's not the case. What, is, what does Paul say? He says, first, it's by the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ. His sacrifice for us, we needed that to bring us back to God, to make peace between God and man. By the blood. And we must be, the other word he used was in Christ. So by the blood and in Christ. It means we've got to be united to him. You've got to be wed to him. You've got to be brought to him through, as it's made our own, through faith. Intimately through faith. That's what it does. So life together, then. The, the church, us gathering on a Sunday morning, it's so much more than just about a religious experience or religious growth, or intellectual knowledge, it's always, let me say it again, always about nearness to Christ and nearness to each other. Always. That's what the incarnation was all about. And it's nearness not just intellectual, not just philosophical. It's a spiritual rebirth and nearness to each other. This is how the new life and new community is formed. By his blood, being in Jesus, him coming near and making it possible for us to come near. I was reading a testimony of a, a doctor this last week. And he was discussing his, his bedside manner. 
You ever had a doctor that has good bedside manner and then a doctor who doesn't? It's quite a different experience, isn't it? Quite some of you are like, yeah, we've all experienced that. I was reading his testimony, and he was talking about the fact how medicine has changed and how there is so much, and we're grateful for a lot of them, but machines and things, you go in, you're instantly hooked up to like 30 lines, aren't you? You feel like a marionette. You're just like, you know, you're like one of those, you just got lines all over you, don't you? You get hooked up. And those machines are good, and they help, and they gauge a lot of things. But his, 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 his testimony was talking about the fact that most of the time, care now is somebody walks in, you're kind of on the bed, you're, you don't even really exist. They go to the machine, it's the numbers, isn't it? And they record them, and they write them down. Oh, you're here, that's right. You know, I was looking at the machine and the numbers. It can be like that, can it? He's talking about that. They write down the numbers and maybe just walk away. He was talking about a story how he went in one time, and he just, the old-fashioned way, he went in and he took somebody's pulse, just like that. Just touched their arm. I mean, the machine was there. It could have taken it, but he went in and did that. Here's what he said about it. He said, taking someone's pulse seems like a simple gesture. He's talking about a real experience now. He said, but when I placed my fingers on Mrs. Smith's wrist to feel the rhythm and the regularity of her heartbeat, I had no idea her husband would be so impressed. See, Charlotte, how different this doctor is? He still checks your pulse himself, just like they did in the old days. What did he do? He got near to her. He, he, he identified with her weakness in that moment. He got down on her level, and he just, he just touched her wrist. That's all he did, just to take her pulse. You know, Jesus didn't just come to feel our pulse. He actually took a pulse on himself, didn't he? He took on a heart himself, a beating heart, and then he dies, not just to check your pulse, but to give you a new heart. That's incarnation. That doctor saw it. He realized, whoa, the power of just getting near somebody. That's what Jesus did. And so we, Paul says, remember, you were brought near to God in Jesus by his blood and peace that he makes. And he brings us near, and he creates this new community. It's our third truth. He comes near so that we can be created to, into this new corporate community reconciled to each other, but to God as well. We'll finish out our time together this morning talking about this new community. Now, who we are now is we've been brought near, far away to near, so then who are we? What are we to be? Those are the questions of this series, Life Together. You know, that doctor went on in his testimony. And he said this about the need for personal connection in the practice of medicine. He said, quite apart from obtaining another piece of data, this family's reaction to my hand on her wrist writes in bold letters across the next chapter in medicine that to lose, to lose embodied connections is to endanger the soul, he said, of this caring profession of practicing medicine. What's he saying here? When we lose our embodied connection, person to person, in front, face to face, real FaceTime now, not just the button one, real FaceTime, when we lose that, he said, we are endangering the soul. And that's just in the medical practice, he was saying. And it's the case for us in the church. To lose fellowship, 
To break with God's people is to endanger your soul. That's what Paul's saying here, this new community. We, we need one another. You need others. We need you. That's what Paul's saying here. It's hard for us to understand in our day this separation that was between the Jew and Gentile. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around this. We're, you know, we're detached from that culture. It was thousands of years ago. But the Jews were to be always a light to the Gentiles. Uh, Abraham's promise was a blessing to the one people group? No. What was it? The nations, wasn't it? A blessing, a light, a blessing to be a blessing unto the nations. To bring that God to them. But at this time, even in the temple, do you know, we've talked about, I think, in the book of Mark, there was a wall separating, keeping the Gentiles in this outer court. They call it the court of the Gentiles, away from the Jews. We can't get near you. We just got to stay away. You know, much of that had to do with the ceremonial law that God gave, the commandments and the ordinances mentioned. You see in verse 15 there, he mentions the ordinances. And the letter of the law. They were concerned with the law. They were practicing the law. But the letter of the law, rather than the spirit of the law, had ruled God's people, and they had ended up becoming alienated from the rest of humanity rather than a light to the nations. They were isolated. They were alienated. And this wall in the temple that said, we'll stand on one side, you have to be on the other, is this wall of hostility that the passage speaks of. They were isolated. They were alienated. But Jesus, it says, broke down that wall by doing away with, by abolishing the ceremonial law. Look at verse 15 with me. He says in Ephesians 2:15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. He did away with circumcision, is what is being said there. The need for that outward ceremonial expressions of the old covenant because he's making a new community, a new people. One new man, Paul says, of the two. One new community. It's the, the corporate body of Christ. The church. And now, there was nothing standing in the way once that wall had been removed. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us as people living today? We're not alive then. There's no temple wall. But what does that practically mean? It means that really, another human being made in the image of God, we should not have anything really in between us that would keep us at least from treating someone with dignity and honor and worth and value because they're made in God's image. That's what it means. Those things that, are, that get in the way, those standards that we set that many times are irrelevant, that get between, that become dividing walls between humanity, should not matter. What are some of those? Education. Shouldn't matter in relationship. Income level. Shouldn't matter in relationship. Skin color. Shouldn't matter in relationship. What Paul's saying is that inequality and all these irrelevant things doesn't matter. It's banished in God's kingdom. That kind of inequality. The dividing wall has been brought down, he says. He's creating a new people. 
that live around and in this gospel of peace. Peace he made. Look at verse 17 and 18 with me. And he came and preached peace, that's Jesus, to you who were far off, that's the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, that's the Jews. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Let's talk about the church. The church is a gift. The new body, the new man, the tube that become one. It's a gift of grace. The fellowship that we talked about, that unity uh, um, that, that, that the, the, the Trinity has, that's now played out amongst people, this life together in Jesus. We all, Jew, Gentile, ma- male, female, rich, poor, black, white, whatever it is, we all have access to God through the same Holy Spirit. The dividing wall is gone. And so those things that do get in the way, that we realize this is like a dividing wall. This shouldn't be there. This doesn't have to be what alienates us. We have to acknowledge those things and push against them as a church, push against them in our culture here. If they're things like those irrelevant status factors, like education, wealth, or as you even know, ongoing racial tension in our nation. The church is a grace. Here's what Bonhoeffer went on to say in Life Together about it. He said, it's easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace. So this room, the people next to you, us sitting here right now, Bonhoeffer saying, it's a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken from us. There's no guarantee. The time that still separates us from utter loneliness may be brief indeed. Therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege of living just a common Christian life, even, he said, what we have here with other Christians. Praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. It is grace, nothing but grace, that we're allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. You think a man like Bonhoeffer felt it when he lost it? In prison for his faith, lost the brotherhood. He says, there's no guarantees. It could be taken from us tomorrow. So he says, common Christian community, Oh, praise God from the bottom of your heart that you got Bethany Church here. It's still here in Canby, 100 plus years. He says, thank God the next day, we're still here. We're still here. We're still here. Remember, remember, we were far off. We're here still. What Paul's getting at is we're, we're not just some random gathering of individuals on a Sunday morning. Our culture feels like that. Sometimes it feels like that. Maybe when you're new or you don't know people, it feels like that at times, but that's not. We are, as Paul describes it, a united body. We're brought together, a corporate community, to live life together reconciled by the gospel. That's what this whole passage is about. It's not just a random gathering of individuals. We're the body. I was talking to a woman a few weeks ago at a restaurant, we got to talking about faith and church and life. And uh, as I often do, people find out what I do. It sometimes changes the conversation really quickly. (laughs) Most of the time, it does. Sometimes for the good. Sometimes not for the good, actually. People clam up instantly. Um, I asked her if she went to church, if she gathered anywhere. And her response was, you know, I, I don't really go for organized religion. Or go to church. I mean, she said church, I mean, it can be anything. Church can be anything. A hike, 
just being by myself or going outside. She said, church is kind of anything for me, really. The idea of church, I think, as I was talking to her, what I was getting was that it it was maybe just boring, irrelevant. Why do I need to gather with people? I mean, give me some excitement, a hike at least. Give me something. I love what one author said. He said, the church gets boring because we've neutered it of its importance. The church gets boring because we've, well, we could say circumcised today, circumcised it of its importance. (laughs) We've, We've cut it off. The body here, the people of God, the church, it is God's plan A for your life. There's no plan B. And not just for your life, the church, the gathered people of God, is God's plan A for the world too. There's no plan B. This is it. This is the the thing, the thing. Christ died for the church to reconcile her to each other and God. For these people, us here. Paul doesn't let us get off that easy. This isn't just a human gathering, a bunch of individuals. It's something so much more special. It's our fourth and final truth today. We are a spiritual community. Not just people together. We are a spiritual community. That's really important. Citizens, family, temple, the three words he uses to close it. He goes on to describe in the rest of this passage, us, the people of God, with three really, really rich words. And he brackets them in verse 18 and 22 with these two mentions of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual now, the Holy Spirit. We have access to God in one spirit, he says. The Holy Spirit who brings us into union with Christ. By, remember, verse 4 from last week, he took us death to life. So spiritual life from the Holy Spirit. And then verse 22, then the Spirit lives in us. The Spirit of God. A dwelling place for God, verse 22 says, in our individual lives, but also in this corporate family. The Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual community. Who are citizens, he describes, of a new kingdom. Members of God's house. So family, family, these rich, descriptive words. And a new temple. You thought that dividing wall was really important? No, no, no. Now you are the temple of God. The Spirit dwells in you when you come to trust Jesus. The residing place of God now is not in a temple made by hands, but in your heart. That's why we're a spiritual community, not just a random group of people gathering. You could wrap these three words, citizen, family, temple, I think up into this one word, uh, culture. He's producing a different culture in the church, a spiritual culture in his people. As we're brought back near to God, he's doing a powerful, spiritual, not human, spiritual work. And this community's culture, that's ours, should look like no other on earth. Like no other community. No other culture. And it'll be attractive. It's not about our programs, right? As a local church, even as those are maybe important at times. Or our flashiness. But our culture, what do we like when we gather? How do we live life together outside these doors? That's what matters, our culture. And if we do that, people want to know, what's different about this place? What's different about this people? It's not like the rotary gathering, 
right? Or your book club. Or the, your kid's baseball team. Those are all gatherings of humans, aren't they? This is something different. It'll be attractive. The Spirit's building a culture through community. And in this spiritual culture, sacrificial love rather than self-seeking love is built up. In this spiritual culture, we're united in Christ and his work, not just a common interest or hobby or devotion. He is the foundation. Isn't that what Paul said? He's the cornerstone. That's the glue to hold us all together. In this spiritual culture, he's building our love to serve rather than our love to be served for pleasure. Do you see how this culture is supposed to look different? Countercultural, we say. In this spiritual culture, what rules? People? Somebody in power? No, the Word of God. The Word of God is what rules in this spiritual culture rather than rules enforced by power and coercion like the culture of the world. You see, it's different. It's a spiritual culture. It's different. And you have this spirit living in you if you've trusted Christ. And he's building us up, Paul says. He's building us up. How? How does he do it? Because that's important. How does he do it? How is he building us up? It's a simple answer. We go back to it a lot. It's through the gospel. He just laid it out again. Remember who you were. He just laid it out, the gospel that changes lives. This whole chapter, that's what he's done. He's laid out the gospel, and then he said, remember. Remember, spiritual death to life. Now remember, you were once far off. Remember, you have been brought near. Remember, God is making you new through the power of this gospel. Who you are, people of God. Now live as this new man, as these new women, in this new community or culture. We have to have gospel doctrine gospel truth, but also gospel culture, living it out. We're reading this book in our men's group. We just started it Wednesday again. Join us if you want. They're out there. We'll be Wednesday, Cutsworth, 6.30 a.m. again. It's called The Gospel, How the Church Portrays the Beauty of Christ. We're reading this book by Ray Ortland, and Wednesday morning we had this fantastic reminder that, that Ray gave us in this book. These really easy equations that help us remember what this community is all about, and how God is building us up. Here's what he said. He said they're, they're little math equations. Gospel doctrine, he says, if you've got that, but minus, take away the gospel culture, what are you as a local body? He said, it's just a hypocrisy. Because you've got truth, right? Gospel doctrine, but your culture, it's not impacted by it at all. And people have said that about the church at times, haven't they? But they're so hypocritical. They're so hypocritical. They believe these things, they say these things, they teach these things, but they're just like us. Gospel doctrine minus gospel culture. Hypocrisy, he said. It's truth without love. Another way to say the top one. Truth without love. Doctrine without transformed lives. How does that end up? How does that come across to people? Bitter, harsh, pushy, truth without love. That's let me win an argument, not the person. It's not very attractive, is it? Gospel doctrine without a gospel culture. Hypocrisy. But a gospel culture without gospel doctrine, what, what does he say that? He says that's really fragile. That's fragile. It's mere, you know, gospel doctrine, you, maybe you're just, or gospel culture, you're a really loving people, but there's no doctrine or truth behind it. That's really just mere mm, sentimentality, you might say. Maybe just emotion. And it's fragile. It won't, it won't stand up. 
it will not stand up to the uh, pressures of culture. It won't stand up to the trials of life. Gospel culture without doctrine. But he says, if you put them both together, if you put gospel doctrine and it builds a culture, a people, around that truth, he says, you will see the power of God at work. You will see the power of God. The Bible's got a word for it, Greek word, dunamis. What's it sound like? Dynamite. That's how the Bible describes that power. It's like dynamite if you put the two together. I love it. Bethany Church. May God continue to build us up, as Ephesians says, into this family, this kingdom, this new temple with gospel doctrine and gospel culture, and we will see the power of the Spirit move in our lives, in our community, as we transform people. You've seen this logo, which you've been using at church. You've seen it. It's on our, uh, by our um, office there on the wall. You'll see it come up on a slide. Uh, it's uh, th- three things we value, Bethany Church. Word, prayer, gospel. Which two do you think we hear about the most here at Bethany Church? What do you think? Word and, somebody said over here, gospel. Word and gospel. Three things we want to value. Over the next three weeks, I want to invite you to pray. That middle one there. To pray for Bethany Church. Our elders have talked through this, and we're asking and inviting and challenging you to pray for Bethany Church over the next few weeks. And we want to make this as easy as possible for you. There's a few things we're going to do. Uh, you'll see inside your worship folder. Do you have an insert in there? I was going to bring one up, but I didn't bring it. Yeah, an insert. we got a slide, actually, too, that kind of shows us. On that insert are laid out the next three weeks and a prayer prompt for each day there. Remember what we are. Here's a few. Be a body growing in maturity. Uh, down to next week, uh, persevere when I get weary. Um, pray for my church leader. Pray for my small group. Final week has a couple. Pray for our mission partners or not yet Christians. And what we want to challenge each other to do is for the next three weeks, pray every day for each of these. Today, as you head out, you see there we've got life together, but we've got five things to pray for your church. As you head out today, we're going to give you a gift. Every family can take one uh, or individual if you want. It's a little book called Five Things to Pray for Your Church. Each one of those is the uh, the little, there's 21 little chapters in here. They're just a page each or two. And each one of those corresponds to one of these days. And each inside one of those days, there's five things you can pray. So that first one, remember what we are? There's five things you can pray for that. I want to challenge us over these next three weeks. If it's two minutes, it's five minutes. If it's 30 minutes at night, grab this little book or at least that paper and pray for Bethany Church. Pray that God would continue to build us up like this passage said. And so we're going to do one more thing. We want to make it even easier. Over the next three Wednesdays, so this, the 8th, the 15th, and the 22nd, we're going to have a life together prayer gathering in our gathering place out there. It's going to be informal, less than an hour, maybe 45 minutes. We'll sing a couple songs together. We'll have a couple people pray up front. We'd ask you to bring these if you come back. And we'll just gather together for the next three Wednesday nights to pray 
for Bethany Church. We love the word. We love the gospel. But let's pray, too, that God would build us up into this type of people. Can we do it? I hope so. We'll give you that when you hand out this, and elders will be back there. So as we come to this table now, this table, it 